Part Three of Rappaccini's Daughter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brett Downey with Teresa Downey as Beatrice. Throughout Giovanni's whole acquaintance with Beatrice, he had occasionally, as we have said, been haunted by dark surmises as to her character. Yet, so thoroughly had she made herself felt by him as a simple, natural, most affectionate and guileless creature, that the image now held up by Professor Baglioni looked as strange and incredible as if it were not in accordance with his own original conception. True, there were ugly recollections connected with his first glimpses of the beautiful girl. He could not quite forget the bouquet that withered in her grasp, and the insect that perished amid the sunny air, by no ostensible agency save the fragrance of her breath. These incidents, however, dissolving in the pure light of her character, had no longer the efficacy of facts, but were acknowledged as mistaken fantasies, by whatever testimony of the senses they might appear to be substantiated. There is something truer and more real than what we can see with the eyes and touch with the finger. On such better evidence Giovanni founded his confidence in Beatrice, though rather by the necessary force of her high attributes than by any deep and generous faith on his part. But, now, his spirit was incapable of sustaining itself at the height to which the early enthusiasm of passion had exalted it. He fell down, groveling among earthly doubts, and defiled therewith the pure whiteness of Beatrice's image. Not that he gave her up. He did but distrust. He resolved to institute some decisive test that should satisfy him, once for all, whether there were those dreadful peculiarities in her physical nature, which could not be supposed to exist without some corresponding monstrosity of soul. His eyes, gazing down afar, might have deceived him as to the lizard, the insect, and the flowers. But if he could witness, at the distance of a few paces, the sudden blight of one fresh and healthful flower in Beatrice's hand, there would be room for no further question. With this idea, he hastened to the florist, and purchased a bouquet that was still gemmed with the morning dewdrops. It was now the customary hour of his daily interview with Beatrice. Before descending into the garden, Giovanni failed not to look at his figure in the mirror. A vanity to be expected in a beautiful young man, yet, as displaying itself at that troubled and feverish moment, the token of a certain shallowness of feeling and insincerity of character. He did gaze, however, and said to himself that his features had never before possessed so rich a grace, nor his eyes such vivacity, nor his cheeks so warm a hue of superabundant life. At least, thought he, her poison has not yet insinuated itself into my system. I am no flower to perish in her grasp. With that thought, he turned his eyes on the bouquet, which he had never once laid aside from his hand. A thrill of indefinable horror shot through his frame, on perceiving that those dewy flowers were already beginning to droop. They wore the aspect of things that had been fresh and lovely yesterday. Giovanni grew white as marble, and stood motionless before the mirror, staring at his own reflection there, as at the likeness of something frightful. He remembered Baglioni's remark about the fragrance that seemed to pervade the chamber. It must have been the poison in his breath. Then he shuddered, shuddered at himself. Recovering from his stupor, he began to watch, with curious eye, a spider that was busily at work, hanging its web from the antique cornice of the apartment. 
crossing and recrossing the artful system of interwoven lines, as vigorous and active a spider as ever dangled from an old ceiling. Giovanni bent towards the insect and emitted a deep, long breath. The spider suddenly ceased its toil. The web vibrated with a tremor originating in the body of the small artisan. Again Giovanni sent forth a breath, deeper, longer, and imbued with a venomous feeling out of his heart. He knew not whether he were wicked or only desperate. The spider made a convulsive gripe with his limbs and hung dead across the window. Accursed! Accursed! muttered Giovanni, addressing himself. Hast thou grown so poisonous that this deadly insect perishes by thy breath? At that moment a rich, sweet voice came floating up from the garden. Giovanni! Giovanni! It is past the hour! Why tarriest thou? Come down! Yes, muttered Giovanni again. She is the only being whom my breath may not slay. Would that it might! He rushed down, and in an instant was standing before the bright and loving eyes of Beatrice. A moment ago, his wrath and despair had been so fierce that he could have desired nothing so much as to wither her by a glance. But, with her actual presence, there came influences which had too real an existence to be at once shaken off. Recollections of the delicate and benign power of her feminine nature, which had so often enveloped him in a religious calm, Recollections of many a holy and passionate outgush of her heart, when the pure fountain had been unsealed from its depths, and made visible in its transparency to his mental eye. Recollections which, had Giovanni known how to estimate them, would have assured him that all this ugly mystery was but an earthly illusion, and that, whatever mist of evil might seem to have gathered over her, the real Beatrice was a heavenly angel. Incapable as he was of such high faith, Still her presence had not utterly lost its magic. Giovanni's rage was quelled into an aspect of sullen insensibility. Beatrice, with a quick spiritual sense, immediately felt that there was a gulf of blackness between them, which neither he nor she could pass. They walked on together, sad and silent, and came thus to the marble fountain, and to its pool of water on the ground, in the midst of which grew the shrub that bore gem-like blossoms. Giovanni was affrightened at the eager enjoyment, the appetite, as it were, with which he found himself inhaling the fragrance of the flowers. Beatrice, he asked abruptly, whence came this shrub? My father created it, answered she with simplicity. Created it? Created it? repeated Giovanni. What mean you, Beatrice? He is a man fearfully acquainted with the secrets of nature, replied Beatrice. And at the hour when I first drew breath, this plant sprang from the soil, the offspring of his science, of his intellect, while I was but his earthly child. Approach it not, continued she, observing with terror that Giovanni was drawing near the shrub. It has qualities that you little dream of. But I, dearest Giovanni, I grew up and blossomed with the plant, and was nourished with its breath. It was my sister, and I loved it with a human affection. For... Alas, hast thou not suspected it? There was an awful doom. Here Giovanni frowned so darkly upon her that Beatrice paused and trembled. But her faith in his tenderness reassured her, and made her blush that she had doubted for an instant. There was an awful doom, she continued. The effect of my father's fatal love of science, which estranged me from all society of my kind. 
until heaven sent thee, dearest Giovanni. Oh, how lonely was thy poor Beatrice! Was it a hard doom? asked Giovanni, fixing his eyes upon her. Only of late have I known how hard it was, answered she tenderly. Oh, yes, but my heart was torpid, and therefore quiet. Giovanni's rage broke forth from his sullen gloom like a lightning flash out of a dark cloud. Accursed one! cried he with venomous scorn and anger. And finding thy solitude wearisome, thou hast severed me, likewise, from all the warmth of life, and enticed me into thy region of unspeakable horror? Giovanni! exclaimed Beatrice, turning her large bright eyes upon his face. The force of his words had not found its way into her mind. She was merely thunderstruck. "'Yes, poisonous thing,' repeated Giovanni, beside himself with passion. "'Thou hast done it! Thou hast blasted me! Thou hast filled my veins with a poison! Thou hast made me as hateful, as ugly, as loathsome and deadly a creature as thyself! A world's wonder of hideous monstrosity! Now, if our breath be happily as fatal to ourselves as to all others, let us join our lips in one kiss of unutterable hatred, and so die!' "'What has befallen me?' murmured Beatrice, with a low moan out of her heart. "'Holy Virgin, pity me, a poor heartbroken child!' "'Thou? Dost thou pray?' cried Giovanni, still with the same fiendish scorn. "'Thy very prayers, as they come from thy lips, taint the atmosphere with death. Yes, yes, let us pray. Let us to church, and dip our fingers in the holy water at the portal. They that come after us will perish as by a pestilence. Let us sign crosses in the air.' It will be scattering curses abroad in the likeness of holy symbols. Giovanni, said Beatrice calmly, for her grief was beyond passion. Why dost thou join thyself with me thus in those terrible words? I, it is true, am the horrible thing thou namest me. But thou, what hast thou to do, save with one other shudder at my hideous misery, to go forth out of the garden and mingle with thy race? and forget there ever crawled on earth such a monster as poor Beatrice. "'Dost thou pretend ignorance?' asked Giovanni, scowling upon her. "'Behold, this power have I gained from the pure daughter of Rappaccini!' There was a swarm of summer insects flitting through the air, in search of the food promised by the flower odors of the fatal garden. They circled round Giovanni's head, and were evidently attracted towards him by the same influence which had drawn them for an instant within the sphere of several of the shrubs. He sent forth a breath among them, and smiled bitterly at Beatrice, as at least a score of the insects fell dead upon the ground. "'I see it! I see it!' shrieked Beatrice. "'It is my father's fatal science? No, no, Giovanni, it was not I. Never, never. I dreamed only to love thee, and to be with thee a little time, and so to let thee pass away, leaving but thine image in mine heart. For Giovanni, believe it. Though my body be nourished with poison, my spirit is God's creature, and craves love as its daily food. But my father, he has united us in this fearful sympathy. Yes, spurn me, tread upon me, kill me. Oh, what is death after such words as thine? But it was not I. Not for a world of bliss would I have done it. Giovanni's passion had exhausted itself in its outburst from his lips. There now came across him a sense mournful, 
and not without tenderness, of the intimate and peculiar relationship between Beatrice and himself. They stood, as it were, in an utter solitude, which would be made nonetheless solitary by the densest throng of human life. Ought not, then, the desert of humanity around them to press this insulated pair closer together? If they should be cruel to one another, who was there to be kind to them? Besides, thought Giovanni, might there not still be a hope of his returning within the limits of ordinary nature, and leading Beatrice, the redeemed Beatrice, by the hand? Oh, weak and selfish and unworthy spirit, that could dream of an earthly union and earthly happiness as possible, after such deep love had been so bitterly wronged, as was Beatrice's love by Giovanni's blighting words. No, no, there could be no such hope. She must pass heavily, with that broken heart, across the borders of time. She must bathe her hurts in some fount of paradise, and forget her grief in the light of immortality, and there be well. But Giovanni did not know it. Dear Beatrice, said he, approaching her, while she shrank away, as always at his approach, but now with a different impulse. Dearest Beatrice, our fate is not yet so desperate. Behold! There is a medicine, potent, as a wise physician has assured me, and almost divine in its efficacy. It is composed of ingredients the most opposite to those by which thy awful father has brought this calamity upon thee and me. It is distilled of blessed herbs. Shall we not quaff it together, and thus be purified from evil? Give it me, said Beatrice, extending her hand to receive the little silver phial which Giovanni took from his bosom. She added, with a peculiar emphasis, I will drink, but do thou await the result. She put Baglioni's antidote to her lips, and, at the same moment, the figure of Rappaccini emerged from the portal, and came slowly towards the marble fountain. As he drew near, the pale man of science seemed to gaze with a triumphant expression at the beautiful youth and maiden, as might an artist who should spend his life in achieving a picture or a group of statuary, and finally be satisfied with his success. He paused. His bent form grew erect with conscious power. He spread out his hand over them, in the attitude of a father imploring a blessing upon his children. But those were the same hands that had thrown poison into the stream of their lives. Giovanni trembled. Beatrice shuddered very nervously, and pressed her hand upon her heart. "'My daughter,' said Rappaccini, "'thou art no longer lonely in the world.' Pluck one of those precious gems from thy sister's shrub, and bid thy bridegroom wear it in his bosom. It will not harm him now. My science and the sympathy between thee and him have so wrought within his system that he now stands apart from common men, as thou dost, daughter of my pride and triumph, from ordinary women. Pass on, then, through the world, most dear to one another, and dreadful to all besides. My father said Beatrice feebly, and still, as she spoke, she kept her hand upon her heart. Wherefore didst thou inflict this miserable doom upon thy child? Miserable? exclaimed Rappaccini. What mean you, foolish girl? Dost thou deem it misery to be endowed with marvellous gifts, against which no power nor strength could avail an enemy? Misery to be able to quell the mightiest with a breath? Misery to be as terrible as thou art beautiful? Wouldst thou then have preferred the condition of a weak woman, exposed to all evil, and capable of none? I would fain have been loved, not feared, murmured Beatrice, sinking down upon the ground. But now it matters not. 
I am going, Father, where the evil which thou hast striven to mingle with my being will pass away like a dream, like the fragrance of these poisonous flowers, which will no longer taint my breath among the flowers of Eden. Farewell, Giovanni. Thy words of hatred are like lead within my heart, but they, too, will fall away as I ascend. Oh, was there not, from the first, more poison in thy nature than in mine? To Beatrice, so radically had her earthly part been wrought upon by Rappaccini's skill, as poison had been life, so the powerful antidote was death. And thus the poor victim of man's ingenuity and of thwarted nature, and of the fatality that attends all such efforts of perverted wisdom, perished there at the feet of her father and Giovanni. Just at that moment, Professor Pierto Baglioni looked forth from the window and called loudly, in a tone of triumph mixed with horror, to the thunder-stricken man of science, Rappaccini! Rappaccini! And is this the upshot of your experiment? End of Part 3 Recording by Brett Downey with Teresa Downey as Beatrice End of Rappaccini's Daughter by Nathaniel Hawthorne